Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is a selection of verses from John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but only for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. So my name's Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace, and up here with me is Alex Deutscher, and he's got a great shirt on. Um, (laughs) So I don't know if you know Alex, but Alex and his wife Shannon are here this morning from East Berlin, and it's a real treat because, Alex, you're going to be preaching uh, to us this morning. And I don't know if you know this, but Project Kirka is committed to reaching the people of East Berlin, and we, as a church, have actually been supporting those efforts since about 2013, 2014. Um, and so he, he reached out and said he was going to be in town, and he's like, I'd love to share with you, and we're like, absolutely. So let's welcome Alex, because he's with us this morning. So, thank you. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks for, so much for having me. It's such a privilege to be here. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we can get started. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful community here. Thank you that you're present with us. And I pray that you speak to us through this text and through my thoughts that uh, you become real to us and that you teach us. In your name, amen. As I said, it's such a privilege to be here. It's such such a joy to visit our partner churches in the U.S. It's always very inspiring to me. To be with you, you are a community of Jesus, uh, trying to figure out what it looks like to be a community of Jesus in one setting, right, in Long Beach. You're trying to figure out what that looks like, and it's always very inspiring to me to 
talk to some of you. I've done that last night, done this this morning. I would love to actually sit down with a lot of you right now and ask you the question, you know, what does it look like to follow Jesus in Long Beach? What are the challenges? What are the questions you're wrestling with right now? Like, what does it look like? I would love to do that with you, but you have turned the tables and put me on stage and given me a microphone. So I guess it's my turn to return the favor and uh, talk a little bit about what we think it looks like to be a community of Jesus in Berlin. Just to get us started a little bit, I want to give you a little context of Berlin, the place we're at, the neighborhood we are, um, we're in. We are in former East Berlin, as Daniel has already mentioned. So Berlin, as most of you know, was a divided city, um, East and West, and we're in former East Berlin. And that means that the absolute majority of people that live in our neighborhood have grown up in an atheistic environment. They've grown up either in East Berlin directly or in East Germany. And they've grown up in an atheistic environment that's mostly due to our history, to Germany's history. So in case you didn't know, let me just uh, recap that quickly. <laughs> After World War II, Germany got divided into East and West Germany. Berlin also got divided into East and West Berlin. There was a wall. And so West Germany was heavily influenced over those 40 years by the Allies, right? By you guys, the Brits, the French. We like you guys the most of all of them. But anyway, um, <laughs> the influence and that, the, the influence by the Allies in West Germany, where I also grew up, you could say was an influence that was Western, capitalist, and Christian. And I named these three separately because they're not the same thing, right? They're different things, in my opinion at least. And East Germany was heavily influenced by the Soviet Union, which was an atheist communist influence. Also not the same thing, two different things in my opinion. But what that means is that most people in our neighborhood have grown up in East Germany, which means they've grown up in a very atheistic society. And if you want to get a sense of what that looks like, I always say it's kind of like what I imagine growing up in the Bible Belt, right? It's the, it's the atheist equivalent of growing up in the Bible Belt. So what I imagine the Bible Belt looks like, I don't know, I've not really been there, you know, but like what I imagine it would be like to grow in the Bible Belt is you grow up, you go to school, you go to work, you meet people, and whenever you are interacting with people, you can safely assume that everyone believes in God, that most people would believe in the Bible, Saying things like, I pray for you, or praise God, are as normal as say, let's go, let's go get coffee sometime. You know, it's the same thing, same category. Everyone says that. There's, you know, nothing weird about it. There's churches in every corner. There's crosses in every room. There's Bible verses on every wall. That's what I think the Bible Belt looks like. Now flip that to its atheist version. And you get what it looks like to grow up in East Germany. Everyone believes that there is no higher power. Everyone is totally convinced that religion, Christianity, is a thing of the past, completely irrelevant. People don't even know what it was all about. That's the setting that most people in our, church, or in our neighborhood have grown up in. Now, what that means practically is um, there's 120,000 people living in our neighborhood. 120,000 people. How many people do you think go to a worship service on a Sunday morning? We guess it's about 500. 500 in about seven to eight churches, 
mainline and evangelical churches. And what that feels like, very practically, is that you're just a super weirdo, right? You're a super weirdo on a Sunday morning going to church while everyone is just coming home from the club. Like, it just feels really weird. And so it goes without saying that as Christians or as people exploring faith, maybe for the first time, we are outsiders. We feel very much like outsiders. Our convictions, you know, even the basic ones that we believe there is a God, is for everyone else a relic from the past. Our language, the words we use, you know, we talk about grace and holiness and whatever. People don't even know what that means. Our ethical lifestyle, super out there. Yeah, really crazy. (laughs) As a friend recently said to me, why wouldn't you try an open relationship? You know, if it's available, you should try it. If you want to follow Jesus in that kind of setting, it absolutely makes you weird. There's no way around it. You're just going to be weird. Now, whenever a group like us finds themselves in a situation like this, there's always two options that are very appealing, that you kind of want to do. One option, if you find yourself in a situation like this, is you want to get everyone together that is just like you, that shares the same beliefs, that shares the same lifestyles, and now we'll start snuggling up. Right? So we'll just hang out together all the time, we'll avoid all the other people from the outside, and we'll tell each other how much we love each other and how we're really the normal ones and all the other ones are the weirdos. We just stay amongst ourselves. Right? That's one option. We just hang out as Christians all the time. The other option that's also very appealing is that we go out, we go into the world, and we just try to assimilate as best as we can. Right? So we try to fit in. We just don't talk about the things that maybe make us different. We try to hide those or not live them out. Basically, we give up what's essential to us, what's important to us, in order to just feel like we belong. Those are the two poles that you see always when a group finds themselves in a situ- situation like ours. You see that with refugees coming to Germany, same thing, Right? either just being amongst themselves or then totally giving up what made their culture special and just trying desperately to fit in. I've seen that with some of my lesbian or gay friends, same issue to some extent. And even in church history, you have a prime example of those two poles playing out. That's in the fourth century, directly after the Constantinian shift, basically where uh, Christianity became now the state religion, and now you can, you can watch the whole, like the masses coming into the church, right? All of a sudden, everyone goes to church because it's become the state religion. Everyone's supposed to believe that. But then you watch the church turning more and more into their environment. The church looks exactly like everything else all of a sudden. Like the bishops, you know, dress up like emperors. The churches become the fanciest buildings in town. All of a sudden, it's all about power. It's all about impressing. And the church sort of gets not recognized as a church anymore because they just look like everything else. But then within the church, there's a movement of people, the true Christians, they think, or they are, I don't know, they decide to leave the church. But not just the church, they, try to, they decide to leave the, the, the society. They move into the desert. They turn into the desert fathers, and their idea is, well, I just want to be alone with God, right? Get away from all the mess <laughs> and get away from everything that's happening there. They lose contact with the world, basically. They just want to be by themselves and with God. Those are the two poles. And they're very tempting for us in Berlin, too. Either just to be amongst our Christians in our own little church world, or to be out there, assimilate, and lose what makes us different.
But here is where this text that we've just read gets very interesting and very relevant to us in Berlin. Because I don't know if you've caught that as we've just listened to it, but Jesus makes two statements about his disciples here that speak directly into these questions that I was just talking about. And the surprising thing is, if you look carefully, he doesn't support either of those options. First, in verse 16, Jesus says his disciples are not of this world. You could also say he's saying they're different from this world. Don't assimilate, you know, don't just fit in. But then in verse 18, he says they're sent into this world. They should be part of the world. They should be right in the middle of everything. He says don't withdraw, don't just cuddle up, you know. (laughs) In other words, there's this tension of should we be different or alike? Should we move closer or keep our distance? And Jesus' answer is, Yes. (laughs) He sends us right into the tension. He says, this tension is exactly where you're supposed to live. Now, what I want to do with the rest of my time is basically look a little more closely at what what that means practically. How can we do that? How can we do that as individuals? And then also, how can we do that as churches? First of all, what does it mean for us as individuals? Because apparently that's the vision that Jesus has for us as his followers, is that we are people that are very much like our friends and neighbors and also very much unlike our friends and neighbors at the same time. Jesus wants us to be like our friends and neighbors in our hobbies, in our interests. He wants us to participate in the life of the neighborhood. He wants us to hang out wherever people hang out, at parties, in bars, in Berlin, certainly in clubs. Right? If you want to be a little provoking about this, you could say if, if someone can tell that you are a Christian from a mile away, you've done something wrong. You've done something wrong. You should be part of the world. But at the same time, he says once people get to know us more closely, we should be very unlike our neighbors. We should be very different in our integrity, in our generosity in our hospitality, in our forgiveness, in our empathy, and most of all, in our grace for others. We should be very different once they get to know us, right? That's the basic call. That's what we need to do. Basically, Jesus says, you guys need to be a very confusing bunch of people, (laughs) right? At the same time, at first, people think, oh, he's just like me, you know, goes to the same bars, whatever, you know, enjoys the same movies. We have great friendship. And at the same time, oh my gosh, he's very different from me. What, something's going on here. What's, what's up with this guy? Or to put it another way, I think the call as Christians is to be deeply rooted in the gospel and yet be totally and truly a part of the life of our city and our neighborhood. Those two things at the same time. Now let's just admit that right away that this is very hard to do, right? This is very hard to do. Or to say it the other way around, it's very easy to just ignore the outside world It's so much easier to keep everyone that's not a Christian at arm's length, especially for us. I still tell stories of how I go to parties and I meet people and we have a very nice conversation. They think I'm very much like them. And then at some point they ask me, what do you do for a living? And that's when it gets tricky. (laughs) 
And I say, I'm a pastor. And people either don't even know what it is, or they're just like, oh my gosh, that's so weird. And I have people, I have had people literally walking away from me because they didn't know how to interact with me anymore because I'm a pastor, you know? Weird. So it's so much easier to keep people just at an arm's length. I don't have to defend my faith. I don't have to engage with their questions. You know, they might make lifestyle choices that I'm uncomfortable with. It's very tricky. Or for others of us, it's actually really easy to just blend in, right? We have a lot of non-Christian friends, which is awesome, and we just live in the normal world, but it's, it's, it's tough then to say that God is really important to me and that I am that weirdo who goes to church on Sunday and not to get sucked into the life that everyone else in the city lives. It's very hard to do. And I feel like even if we want to live in that tension, which I'm trying to do, honestly, it's very hard to not... We Germans have an expression that says you always fall off one side of the horse. Does that make any sense? You're sitting on the horse and you always fall off either this side or that side. I think it's a very good picture, but anyway. Um, it's very hard to not fall off one side of the horse, you know. I find myself constantly falling on one side or the other. Like, I find myself falling into the Christian pot, you know, and I only listen to sermons, and I only hang out with Christians, and I stop caring about my neighbors and my neighborhood. As long as I've done my devotional in the morning, everything's fine. But then the pendulum swings to the other side very quickly, too, and my faith becomes this add-on, and I just get into whatever city life, you know, is all about. And so I find myself just caring about money, career, success, love, pleasure, and God gets lost in the shuffle. Here's the thing that Jesus, I think, wants to tell us in this paragraph. Neither of those options are healthy options. Neither of those options produce a healthy and an impactful faith. Because let's think about this quickly. What happens if we only assimilate? if we only try to fit in, what happens? Well, I think what happens is that we lose out on the incredible power that the gospel has in our own lives, even. Right? We lose out on the incredible power that the, that the gospel has. Because I don't know what it is like to live in Long Beach, but I know that living in Berlin is living under constant pressure. Constant pressure. Right? You've got to perform in your job, You've got to experience something exciting in your leisure life. You've got to have something exciting going on in your love life. There's always pressure to perform. There's always pressure to experience and to achieve. And so city people like me are constantly overwhelmed. We're, you know, unhappy. We're empty. We're stressed all the time. <laughs> and what we really need is the gospel. It's this deep experience of standing before God and finding his peace. And hearing again through the gospel that we are loved and accepted without any of our doing. We really, really need that. It's the most important thing that, you know, you can live out of. That gives you an important counterbalance to your city life. And we miss out on that if we only assimilate. And I want to go even further. I think our city and our environment really needs us to be deeply rooted in the gospel. I think our city needs us to be deeply rooted in the gospel. And I know this is an extreme example. I'm aware of that. But just to get us thinking, if you look back into German history, you see a couple of horrible examples 
of what happens when Christians just try to fit in, when Christians just go along with whatever the culture is dictating them. Did you know that the majority of Christians in Germany supported Hitler as he was coming to power? For a very, very long time, everyone just went along. Why? Because the church just really wanted to fit in. <laughs> it just really wanted to be like everyone else. And so they turned a blind eye to what was really going on. And the same thing could happen to us. If we're not rooted in the gospel, if we just try to assimilate, we get lost in whatever's hot right now. Right? We get shaped, we get blinded by individualism of our culture, capitalism of our culture, we, and we can't raise a loving, critical voice anymore. One example, just to make this a little more practical, one of the big cultural narratives in Berlin right now and in our neighborhood is that our political climate is also very hot right now. Um, it's not just you guys, we also have a hot political climate. And so there was a lot of tension uh, before the last election. And many people even in our churches were like, well, if you vote for this party, I can't be friends with you anymore, right? And so I unfriend you on Facebook, people were really getting upset that someone is in the same small group, you know, how can they be in our small group, whatever. That vote differently, that think differently. And we can, get, up, we can caught, get caught up so quickly in the cultural narrative that what defines another human being is their political views. When the gospel says that we're more sinful than we thought, Jesus had to die for us. And we're more loved than we thought, Jesus wanted to die for us. And that's true for you and true for me. So I can't look down on you. <laughs> I'm very sinful, you're very sinful, I can't look down on you. We're in the same boat. If that goes into our heart, we can be a very important voice to the culture around us, to the city around us. But that gets lost if we assimilate. So fitting in is not an option. It's not healthy. It's not good. But the other way around, to just huddle up with your Christian friends, is also not healthy. It's also not good. Because I'm going to be straight. <laughs> if you don't have any real friends that don't believe what you believe, that don't question sometimes what you believe, that don't challenge you and that talk with you about you know, what's going on, you end up going really deep in your faith stuff, right? And you have very amazing prayer times and you feel so spiritual and you feel really close to God. But actually, let's be honest, you're just completely occupied with yourself. It's all about you. It's all about you and your relationship with God and how you are doing so amazing right now in all your prayer times. It's all about you. When Jesus said we should be salt and light, you know, have an impact, make a difference. It doesn't matter. I'm just, you know, I'm fine with God. It's great. I had a really good devotional time this morning. So if we're just huddling amongst ourselves, we produce what I would call an inactive faith. Right? We feel very spiritual, we're very proud of ourselves, but we're no real blessing to the world around us. So what we really need is a third way. A third way to be Christian. We need to be rooted in the gospel and be right there in the midst of our cities. And the question we always ask ourselves in Berlin is, how are we doing? <laughs> how are we doing? Do we feel this tension? Do you feel this tension? Are we home in both worlds? Which brings me to my second point. 
What does that mean for us as churches? And I'm a church planner. I have to talk about church stuff. I'm sorry if that's not interesting to you, but I've got to go, go down that road a little bit. What does that mean for us as churches? Because I think churches have exactly the same problem. There's two kinds of churches, at least in Germany, that I've you know, um, looked at. There's either the kind of churches that huddle, right? Meaning it's just a church that is very content to be amongst ourselves, a church for Christians, you could say. And you can see these churches from a mile away by the language they use, right? They talk very subcultural, very Christian jargon. Normal people walk in and it's like, what the heck's going on? You can see that from the, from the structure of the church. So church completely occupies your life. There's a prayer night, Tuesday night, there's a small group Wednesday night, there's kids club Thursday night, and you can just fill your whole life with church stuff. It's hard for people to even, you know, get involved. And you see that from the content, from preaching, from small group, from the way people talk. Like, there's maybe lots of good exegesis, you know, high theological accuracy in the church, but it doesn't actually address the questions that people have. <laughs> it just, you know, cares about being right, being right doctrinally. And these churches, and I was one of those, I was in one of those for sure, you know, we would say that's okay, right, that we're like this, because that's how it's always been done. And it works for us. But the problem is, if you do church like this, you're not true to the calling of Jesus to be in the world, to be part of the world. You've created your own little world, <laughs> right? That has nothing to do with your outside world, so that's not great. But then, of course, we all know churches on the other end of the spectrum, too, that try to assimilate. It's all about fitting in. It's all about offending nobody, right? And so these churches end up watering the gospel down, which you can see in mainline Protestantism in Germany in the 19th and 20th century. Jesus did not rise from the dead, you know? That's offensive to people. Let's not say that anymore. <laughs> and so you lose your prophetic voice. You don't actually get people out of the cultural narrative they're living in into a gospel narrative. You just reinforce the cultural narratives. So the big task ahead of us in Europe and maybe in the States, I don't know, is to rethink what it looks like to be church. <laughs> to be church that is in the world and in the city and yet not of the world, not of the city. That is truly part of the neighborhood, that feels like a part of our neighborhood, and yet that lets the gospel shine right in our neighborhood. And trust me, we have not figured this out. <laughs> This is a long way ahead of us. We're constantly trying to understand, you know, how can we do this better? How can we be this kind of church? But we found a few things that actually were helpful for us, and I want to share two examples with you quickly. First, let me talk about small groups quickly. So when we started in 2013, we quickly realized, or we had a gut feeling, that small groups, the typical small groups that most churches do, don't work for us. It's not a good fit for Berliners. Because here's a couple of things that you need to know about Berliners. First, people in Berlin don't like to go over to other people's homes. It's not a thing we do. We're Germans. We're reserved, you know. I don't want to go into your house. I don't care what your house looks like. <laughs> so even, you know, when we moved into our new apartment building, you know, we had people that were living around us, and Shannon was like, well, let's invite them over. And I was like, no, let's invite them out to a bar, you know. And we both would go from the seven next door apartments and go out to the bar because that's how Germans do it. That's the first thing you need to know. The second thing you need to know is that in Berlin, as probably in most other cities, people are very, very busy. And so committing to something long-term 
I'm going to be part of this small group for the rest of my life, every Monday. Right? That sounds really not appealing. It's not a good idea. And then the third thing you need to know, and most importantly, what you need to know about Germans, is that talking about your life and talking about spiritual questions is not something we like to do with strangers or people we barely know. We talk about that with our friends, right? If you approach me in the street, I don't want to talk with you about that. It's not your business. Now, if you consider these three things, the thought of going over to somebody's house on a regular basis, every Monday for the rest of my life, to talk about spiritual and deep questions with people I don't even know does not sound like an appealing idea to most Berliners. And of course, you know, we could have started out and said, well, but that's what church is like. That's what Christians do, so you better do that, right? That's what it means to be a Christian. And sure, there's some truth to that. But again, we would have been a church for Christians, created a little bubble. We wouldn't have been true to our calling. And so we tried to figure out what that could look like, and we didn't really have a good idea for a couple of years. And eventually we realized one thing, and that is that what Berliners really like to do is to do projects. Projects, right? I can do something for eight weeks or ten weeks. That's really cool. I'll do a project and it's done at some point. Great. The other thing Berliners really like to do is to educate themselves. They try to learn things about new things, whatever. So what we eventually found out is, well, why don't we do, it rather than small groups, why don't we do project groups, right? So for eight to ten weeks, we get together, we read a book of the Bible or some other Christian literature or even a secular literature and engage, engage with it, you know, what it means for our faith. And we do that for eight to ten weeks, and then after those ten weeks, it's over. And you can go on your own way again. Guess what happened? <laughs> we had one small group up until then for two years, one small group in our church. We started with the project groups. All of a sudden, we had six project groups. Basically, half of the congregation at that point joined small groups, project groups. We found a way that actually worked for the people of our neighborhood. It's not just about what we wanted to do, but what would fit for people in our neighborhood. And really quickly, a second example. Let's talk about the gospel presentation, because I think what we also need to do as churches is to constantly think about, well, how do we actually present the gospel? Like, what is the gospel? What is appealing to people about the gospel? And that is very hard to do in a culture like ours. Just an example that, you know, brings this home. We had a guy joining us um, as an intern in 2014, and he had been in Canada. He had been married. He married a Canadian, lived in Canada for number of years, was a pastor there. He came to Berlin, he came to our church, and he had his first sermon, and he preached with all his passion and all his might about the gospel, basically about, well, you know, the wrath of God. He always knew God, you know, God was, um, like, his sin, God would have to punish that and whatever, the wrath of God. But then he understood grace and how God really just actually loves him and died for him and how that's really meaningful to him. And he was really passionate about it, going on and on and on about it. And eventually realized he was just looking into, you know, blank stares. People did not connect. Why? Because it's a question nobody asks themselves. No one cares about how, you feel, how God feels about you in Berlin. They don't even believe that God exists. Why would they care if he's, like, mad at you? Right? <laughs> so... People don't ask themselves the question that our typical gospel presentations tries to answer. They don't ask themselves, how, is, you know, how does God think about me? They don't ask themselves the question. 
The question that people ask themselves in Berlin is like, why can't I stay in a relationship? I always have to break up at some point. I always have to move on. Why is that? Or another question people ask themselves is, how can I truly contribute something to this world? I want to make a difference. How can I really do that? Everything I do feels so meaningless. Those are questions people answer. Uh, qu people question, ask. So I think what we need to do as churches is to learn to talk about the gospel in a way that actually answers those questions. That actually goes right into these questions and shows them that what's missing in your relationship might not be that you get better strategies for communication with your partner, <laughs> but that you're trying to find something in this relationship that you'll never find there. You'll just never find there. You're looking for God. I'm coming to the end. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about what I've just talked about. When we first came to the realization that that's what we're called to do, both as individuals and as churches, I can tell you that I thought, well, this is very hard and very uncomfortable. Why would I do that? <laughs> Why would I do that? Why would I put myself out there, you know, and maybe get ridiculed by people or just get rejected by people? And why would we do that as church? Like the, in the beginning, people said, well, the way you do church is great to bring non-Christian friends, but for me as a Christian, I only get 80% out of it, right? I'm used to doing things differently. Why would we do this? And I think the text that we've just read gives us an incredible answer to that question. The answer is we should do that because that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. We should live in this tension because that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Think about it. Jesus had a very comfortable life. <laughs> he was hanging out with the Father and the Spirit. I imagine that was great. <laughs> you know, they had a good time. They were huddling up, so to speak. But then Jesus decided, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to just huddle up. I want to be with these people. And he came. And he became Jewish. He entered the culture of his people. And he lived amongst them, amongst them. You know, he completely was one of them, and yet he was different. He was very much alike people, and he was very much unlike people. And then he went to the cross and died for us. Very, very uncomfortable. He put himself out there. Now, here's the questions that we have to ask ourselves, I think. What if Jesus had the same attitude that we oftentimes have? <laughs> What if Jesus would have said to the Father, well, Father, you know, it would be good to save these people, sure, but it's going to cost me something. You know, I might get rejected, they might not like me. My life will not be as good as it could be, so I really don't want to do it. You know, where would we be today if Jesus was going to, you know, if that was his response? Or where would we be if Jesus would have said, well, Father, I just don't feel it, you know? I don't feel it. <laughs> <clears throat> Just, you know, doesn't, I don't know. Where would we be today? Jesus didn't look at the costs. He looked at us. And he really loved us and wanted to be with us. Now, if he's done for, that for us, can't we be a little less self-centered, maybe? <laughs> can't we be, try to be out there, become friends with people, and yet be rooted in the gospel and make a difference? That's what he's done for us. At the very end, as always, I would like to invite you to also pray for us. 
we're trying to live this out in Berlin. Sometimes it's awesome, sometimes it's hard. So we really appreciate partners like you that we know are behind us and praying for us that we can do this in Berlin. Thank you.